Why don't you stand to your feet this morning, turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. Uh, we apologize for those watching on the live stream. We understood that at the end of the service, the uh, the, the live stream, that was a, a user error. I posted it on the family page, and so there's no going in reverse. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to help folks to, uh, to catch up a little bit, and I think it'll be a refresher for us. Again, the, in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. The Apostle Paul in the Bible says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And not with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. This is Paul speaking. Verse 18. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know, we know, it is the very power of God. How many of you know that the cross is the power? Amen. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He used our foolish preaching. <laughs> to save those who believe. Imagine that. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles say that it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Again, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of of God. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful this morning. Lord, we're not asleep to it. We awaken this morning. Uh, we are allowing your Holy Spirit to teach us, to comfort us, to counsel us. Uh, I believe, God, that as we have endeavored to, to do a fresh start this new year, that Lord, you have your church on mission that you have us with a, you have a plan and a purpose for us. And this year, God, you want us to take it to the next level. You want us to, to walk it out. You want us to experience all that you have. And Lord, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that you would open our understanding and that you would challenge each and every person. Lord, 2023 will not be the same as 2022. Lord, it will not be the same God, we are going to change some things. We are going to obey a little closer. We're going to listen a little closer. We're going to allow your Holy Spirit to change us a little more. We are not going through the motions any longer, God. Help us. Help us, oh God, to be on mission. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
So listen, last week we started this new series called Mission Possible, and, and we, we had some fun, right? We had some fun talking about the Mission Impossible TV series and, and the theme music that you just heard. But unlike Mission Impossible, right, we stated that Crosspoint Church today, we have a God-given mission and that that mission is very much possible. And listen, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see what God has for us in 2023. See, our mission statement says that we exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the what? The center of their lives. I want us, I want us to say it together again. Let me hear you say it. We exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. One more time. We exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. Listen, last week we stated that our mission statement, uh, it should guide our actions. It should spell out our goals. It should give us the framework for our decision making. We talked about how our mission statement sounds just like the Great Commission. Imagine that. The commission he gave, that Jesus gave to his disciples and that it honors God and that it lines up with his holy word. We also said that in a way, that mission, that great commission, it should be the personal mission of every single Christian to lead someone to the cross. Last week we broke down, we broke down we, uh, a portion of our mission statement by looking at the we exist to lead people portion. And some of us were able to, uh, to identify, to see the five, four, five core values uh, that we draw out of our mission statement. And, and we saw it, some of you saw it explained for the very first time, and, and that was good. That's a, a good launching pad, a good starting point. Now, I want you to remember this morning that core values, they are the principles that guide our church's conduct and our relationship with the world. And th listen, they're important because they expose our motives and they undergird our work, and they dictate our behaviors and our actions. Again, every church has core values, whether or not they spell them out. Because core values are what you can see. Core values are what we do. They are our actions. And so during the We Exist discussion last week, we stated that our first core value was one that you're very familiar with. You've heard me say it a thousand times, and I want to hear you say it this morning. Together we're... Together we're better. We basically said that our mission is possible. Why? Because Jesus is with us right here and right now. And because Jesus is for us, he's on our side. And as we obey him, together we're better. Listen, our mission is also possible because of this team right here called the Body of Christ at, at Cross Point Church. It is a fact that we can accomplish more together than we can alone. See, together we've been able to do great outreach for the glory of God. And over the last 10 years, uh, I've just seen so many miracles and so many things that God has done. And, and I want you to know this morning that he is not done yet. Anybody believe that God is not done? God is not done. So we're, I, I'm believing for greater things in the next 10 years if the Lord tarries. I'm believing for even more. For the glory of God. And listen, so that was our first core value. Together we're better. Our second core value, uh, uh, while we looked at why we exist, was that every person matters. Say that with me this morning. Every person matters. 
We said that, we, that the we exist portion of our mission statement applies to we the people of Cross Point Church, right? It applies to us first. But listen, it's also connected to the people that we are trying to reach and lead to the cross. In other words, the world is who we're talking about this morning. The unchurched, the sick, the broken, the single mom or dad, the widow, the widower, the poor, the addict, the abused, the homeless. Again, we the followers of Christ at Crosspoint exist to do what? To lead and to reach people to Jesus Christ. See, every person matters to our Savior, don't they? And God is, is the creator, and so we exist because of him and for him. And since people have value in the eyes of God, we should have value and see value in every person that God has created. This is a battle sometimes. Again, we battle with our flesh. Uh, we face people who maybe don't treat us the right way. Uh, we, even in the church, we, we, we struggle with some folks. But listen, every person matters. Remember that the next time you want to tell somebody off. Remember that the next time you, you recall what somebody did to you and you're not forgiving or graceful. Remember that every person matters. And so we exist because of him and for him. Every person matters to God. That led us to the third of core value, which is we're blessed to be a what? Blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. Listen, I love the blessings of God. Uh, we, we love to see God move. We love to see God provide for you. Now listen, God's blessings are meant to protect us. Uh, they are meant to guide us on the path of righteousness. And they give us hope that God is with us. Amen. But his blessings are not exclusive to the people of the Bible. And so this morning, he wants to bless you. Yes, you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless us. As followers of Christ, we are blessed coming and we are blessed going. And those blessings were never intended to be hoarded. I'm going to say that a little louder. Those blessings were never intended to be hoarded. We are Western culture, American Christians, and, and sometimes we think, oh, this is for us to, to get bigger and greater and fatter and bigger and fatter. He's like, no, 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 no. Never meant to be hoarded the blessings of God. Uh, God has a reason for us to be blessed. And so we exist to be, to be a blessing. We exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. We exist to bless people by loving them into the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, amen? amen. We exist to show the whole world, we should want to show the whole world that, that living for Jesus is so full of blessings that they need a relationship with Jesus too. And if they don't, we should be letting them know in one way or another that they are missing out, that they are, are missing out because we're blessed to be a blessing. And listen, I hope you get that. I hope you get that. The blessings of God help us to serve. They help us to give generously. They help us to love even when we don't feel like loving. They help us to share truth even when it's hard to share truth. They help us to show grace because we have been given so much grace and they help us to show forgiveness to others. Church, we're blessed to be a blessing. It's more than just the material things, amen? At that point, we broke down the next portion of our mission statement, which says to lead people. We talked about leading people and what that means. We exist to lead people, and we said that that reveals our, our fourth core value because the reality is that you and I, number four, are we are saved to do what? We are saved to serve. 
Listen, in relation to serving, we said that Jesus Christ was the greatest servant of all. Amen? In fact, he was the master servant, right? And so Jesus, he, he set the example for us. And I believe that in order for us to lead people in any way, we first need to serve them. Because, listen, the best leaders serve. The best leaders serve. Listen, we, we can do that on our own, me, myself, and I, like lone rangers without accountability, or we can serve as an extension of the local church. And, and listen, that's why I shared that I believe uh, that, that in the important value of membership for that very reason, that God has called us to serve together, that God has called us to serve our community. Again, together we are better. Or, or, or is it alone you're better? Or is it, oh, you have all the blessings of God. The anointing is on you to do whatever you want to do and, and you're just going to do whatever you... No, together we're better. If you want to be biblical, every disciple, every apostle of Christ served as, as an extension of the local church. Read your Bible. We're saved to serve. The fifth and final core value is number five. Each one reach one. We're keeping it very simple. Remember, we exist to do what? To lead people. Our mission statement is all about leading. It's all about reaching people for Jesus. But guess what? It all begins with one. It all begins with one. Statistics tell us that Christians in our culture today, many Christians, have not led anyone to Christ in their lifetime. That is a shame to us. That is a challenge to us that there, there is something wrong with our Christianity if as disciples of Jesus Christ, we never reach one person. And so that's why that's our challenge today. That's why we give you that challenge and core value. See, we should be focusing all of our efforts and all of our prayers on the one person that you can reach. And listen, I take it as a personal responsibility that it is my job to help you to lead that one person to Jesus. In this mission, everybody has a role to play. It's not just the pastor that preaches the gospel. It's not just the pastor that, that tells of his testimony and the goodness of God. It's not just the, the called one, the one that went to Bible college that does it. Listen, you are called this morning. You have a calling on your life. God wants to use you. Listen, you have a sphere of influence that I don't have. God put you there on purpose. God put you there for a reason. He wants to use you, church. He wants to use you. Each one reach one. We exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. I hope I'm not boring you this morning. Listen, in, in 2023, God has called you to reach at least one person. Each one reach one. And, and listen, last week we talked about practical ways that we can do that. We can lead them or reach them for Jesus by sharing our testimony. We said that testimony is a big word for story. You have a story. I have a story. Boy, some of you have some great stories. What you used to be and who you used to be, where you used to live and what you used to do. And, and, and God delivered you from that. So use that to reach someone. Sometimes we wonder, God, why do we go through the things that we go through? You go through the things that you go through because God's got a plan for your life and he's going to use that very thing that you're facing to touch somebody else's life. Each one, reach one. We also lead people by inviting them to church. Uh, I believe it's 86% of people say that they would visit a church if someone invited them. It blows our mind. 
because we are so afraid to open our mouths and invite our neighbor to church. Well, they, they, they see me the closest. I don't know if I want to invite the neighbor. Oh, then you ought to check yourself because if you're not inviting the neighbor, there, there might be something, a disconnect there. We should invite them. We might, it might even be uh, by literally uh, in bringing them to church or in outreach. When I was coming up in the Lord, there were people in the church that, man, if nothing else, they were giving people rides to church. If they were the only one driving their vehicle and there were three or four or five or other seats in there, they were trying to find someone to bring the church with them. We've kind of lost that. We've kind of, you know, we've got plans. And if we bring someone, then we've got to alter our plans. And, and we can't go to the big lunch right after. How about you invite them to lunch? How about you include them in your plans? We, we have the sanitized version of Christianity sometimes that, that, that we have to do things a certain way and, and that it can't interfere with my plans and my goals and my, my things that I have going on in, uh, during my day. No, it should permeate every area of your life. We ought to be wanting to reach someone for Jesus. And listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with being an example in the church and outside the church because people are watching. Anybody know that people are watching? See, each one reach one. That's our mission possible. That's what we covered last week. Again, I took a lot of time to do that uh, because I know that some folks missed it. Uh, the live stream, again, didn't go public, and so I wanted to do that. And so This week, I want to continue uh, our Mission Possible series by focusing on the portion of our mission that's the point of everything we do. You might have heard me uh, say it before. The cross is the point. We exist to lead, lead people to the cross. We are cross point. And see, the parents of a 10-year-old public school boy who was failing fifth grade math badly decided to enroll their son in a, a very strict Catholic school after exhausting all other methods. And the youngster, he stormed home after the first day of school. He, he walked right past them and he charged straight into his room and he locked the door behind him. Two hours later... He emerged for a quick snack, announced that he was studying, and went straight back to his studies until bedtime. This pattern, it continued week after week after week until the end of the first quarter. And then after school, the boy walked home with his report card, dropped it on the family dinner table, and again walked straight into his room, shutting the door behind him. His parents didn't know what to expect. Uh, they, they cautiously opened the report card, and guess what? They saw a bright red A+, under the subject of math, where he was previously failing, and they rushed excitedly into their son's room. I mean, at this point, they were, they were wondering what made the difference in his life academically, and so they decided to ask him, how did you go from failing to an A+, and they wondered what made the difference. Was it the teachers? The father asked. The boy looked, uh, uh, shook his head and said, no, no. Was it the one-on-one -on -one tutoring or the, the peer mentoring, asked the mother. Again, the boy shrugged, no, the, the textbooks or the curriculum, uh, the father said. No, you guys don't understand, said the boy with a heartfelt tone from the very first day of school. I knew that these people were really serious about math. You see, when I walked into the school lobby for the very first time, I saw that guy nailed on that big plus sign. <laughs> and I knew that they really meant business. 
Listen. The cross of Christ is the plus sign to all the world that God really means business. Listen, God's business today is that of forgiveness. His business today is that of salvation. His business today is that of mercy and of grace. And so when it comes to leading people to the cross, that's God's business for us at Cross Point too. See, the cross is the point. That young man, he symbolizes our world today. Listen, they don't even know the real meaning of the cross. Did you know that? They don't even know. Uh, uh, that's, that's our mission. We exist to lead people to the cross. And so Oswald Chambers said, all of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All of hell is terribly afraid of it. While men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. In fact, the cross has basically lost its meaning today. It's worn on necklaces. It's worn on earrings. Uh, uh, it's tattooed on people's bodies. And if you would ask them what it means, you'll get a thousand different answers. And, and listen, we have beautified the cross. And, and so we don't have to think about the horrible suffering that was associated with it. When in reality, I, I want you to know, if you don't know this morning, that it was your sin and that it was my sin that caused Christ to be nailed to the cross. And yet at the same time, that's where our hope begins. See, if people are going to place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, they can't be confused about the meaning of the cross. They got to know, and somebody's got to tell them. You need to be able to explain to them what the cross means and how it applies to all of us today. Again, the cross is the point. 1 Corinthians 1.18, we, we read it earlier. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are what? Headed for destruction, right? But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. The cross is the point. And so right there, the Bible is telling us that there are two types of people in the world. Those who are headed for destruction, they are lost, they are perishing, and those who are being saved. Why? Because, because they know that the cross is the very power of God. Listen, and the difference between those two types of people boils down to their understanding of the meaning of the cross. Now, that should really move us this morning. That should really move us. We should want to, other people to know the truth of Christ and His cross like we do. And we should want to lead them to the cross because it's a matter of life or death. See, knowing what the cross is all about can make a difference in our lives and in their lives. We have a God-given mission to lead them to the cross. It's our mission possible. Remember, those who are perishing see the cross as foolishness. They might even see it as a gimmick or some kind of old-time religion. But those who are being saved, they see the cross as the power of God. Like we already said, now on the cross, Jesus Christ, we know that he was providing for our salvation. He was earning right standing with God for us. The cross is the centerpiece of our faith. It explains why our sins are forgiven and why we can have hope in this life and in the life to come. And so the cross is the anchor of your faith. Today, as we focus on leading people to the crosses, that's what we're doing. How do we lead people to the cross? There are four big words that will help us to better understand the meaning of the cross so that we can better share it with them. Big words, four big words. Say four big words. The first one is substitution. Say substitution. A substitute is someone who takes the place of another. 
I don't know about you, but when I hear substitution, I got to say that the first thought that comes to mind is having a sub or a substitute in school. A teacher, right? Someone that comes in and takes the place of our regular teacher. Remember that? Some of you, that was a long time ago. But yeah, okay, we remember that. Listen, that may not be the best example because we, uh, we used to have a lot of fun in a bad way when the substitute came in. But it's football season right now. And so when a football player is injured, what does a coach do? The coach replaces him with a substitute. Often the sub is much better than the injured player at that moment because he is healthy, uh, he is rested, he has fresh legs, and usually a substitute can do things the injured player can't do in, the, in, in his weakened condition. In a, in a similar way, listen, God saw that you and I were injured by sin. We were injured by sin. We were sidelined by it. See, we couldn't measure up in our weakened and sinful state. And so God sent Jesus into the world to take our place as a substitute in your place. The plan of God. He was sent to, to free us from our sinful condition by actually dying on the cross. And you see, we weren't making the grade spiritually. We were failing miserably and sentenced to death for our sins. But Jesus came to die in our place. That's substitution. I love Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, you see, at, the, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, say powerless, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare or consider to die. But check this out. I love verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. What is it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were in your worst estate, while you were just in the depths of it, he died for you. He was your substitute. That is substitution. And that we need to understand to be able to, to share the cross of Christ with someone. The second word that explains the meaning of the cross is uh, one that I have a little bit of fun saying. I don't know what it is. It gets caught up in my lips and my tongue. Propitiation. Say that five times fast. Propitiation. Listen, propitiation is a million-dollar word that means it's an appeasement that turns away wrath or anger or a calming concession bringing relief. It's basically the act of gaining favor or goodwill for something. And, and listen, maybe a movie might come to mind or something. And in many ancient pagan religions, it was a popular thing to offer propitiation to avoid the wrath of their god or gods. And so, for instance, if the volcano was about to erupt, the tribal priest or leader would simply take a young woman. Why is it always a young woman, by the way? They would always take a young woman to the top of the volcano and toss her in as an appeasement to what they thought the volcano god wanted. That was propitiate. That's an example of propitiation. Basically, what they were saying to the supposed God of the volcano is take your anger out on this woman instead of taking it out on me. Take this anger out on this woman instead of taking it out on the whole village. She is the propitiation offering. Now, not nearly as serious, but most men in our society know how to use propitiation too. 
See, guys, when you do something stupid and your wife gets mad at you, you might immediately go shopping to search for some propitiation. And if she's not too mad, flowers will serve as good propitiation. But if you're really in the doghouse, the propitiation is really going to be some expensive perfume or some jewelry, and so it's going to cost you. You're hoping she'll accept your propitiation offering and not exercise her right to be angry with you. Well, listen, this morning, God has every right to be angry with us because of our sin. Our sin separates us. You see, he is a just, he is a holy, he is a righteous God. And that nature of God, it requires that the wrath of God be poured out on us because of our sin. His nature, his very nature demands it. And Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You want to know why you see all kinds of craziness going on in the world? The wrath of God is on display. The wrath, and I'm, I'm so glad he doesn't display it like he did in the Old Testament because there'd be groups of people disappearing, burned up in ashes every day as we, you think the news is crazy now, what would it look like if God was, was acting in the way he did in the Old Testament? The news would be crazy, even crazier. And so Jesus offered up his life as propitiation to keep God's wrath away from you to keep God's wrath away from me. He, he literally said to the Father, please don't pour out your wrath or anger on them. Instead, let me take their punishment. Propitiation. In fact, Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. 1 John 2, 2 says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice. That phrase literally means propitiation. He, he is the atoning sacrifice, the, the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The cross is all about propitiation for us. The third word that explains the meaning of the cross is redemption. Redem say, re say redemption. Redeem means to buy something back that you once possessed. And uh, listen, what comes to my mind is something kind of very silly. Uh, I grew up in New York, New York and we were poor. And so in New York, uh, on the top of every aluminum can, there was a way to redeem that can for how much? Five cents. And so we used to collect, man. We used to get garbage bags. And if you dropped an aluminum can, that was money. That was money. I was going to turn that in. I was going to redeem that for some money. That was going to buy some snacks. That was going to buy some things that I, I wouldn't otherwise have. And so I knew at that age about redemption, but I didn't even know it. I just knew that it says redeem for five cents. And in biblical times, that word redemption was used to describe a slave who was freed from slavery. The slave would, would have a certain debt that was called a ransom that they owed to their master and usually they couldn't pay it on their own and so they were stuck being a slave. So if a friend or a family member 
could pay the ransom debt that the slave owed, he would be set free. In other words, he would be redeemed. And he could walk away a free man now that, the, that he had been redeemed. That's redemption. See, humanity was created good and perfect by God. But sin made us slaves. And because the Creator was the only one who could rightly redeem His creation, bringing us back into right standing with God, Jesus Christ came to provide redemption for you and for me. See, God actually set death as the debt or the ransom to release us from the bondage and the consequences of sin. He had every right to. And Jesus redeemed us by dying on the cross. It, it was the only way. And so Romans 6, 23, it begins by saying, for the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. And listen, that word wages in the Greek means something that is earned or something that is deserved. And, and so for sin, death is deserved. And so none of us could afford to pay the ransom for sin to avoid this death. And we weren't spiritually wealthy enough. We didn't have holiness or perfection on our side to make payment. But Jesus was. Jesus is. Jesus Christ came and he paid the debt that we owe to God to redeem us from that death and see his sinless life provided the perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish and his death on the cross paid the ransom to buy us back from sin and death. That's redemption. In fact, 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% man, and he came to earth on mission. Now, when Jesus was on, on the cross, we know that some of his last words were, It is finished. How many of you know that? He said that on the cross. It is finished. In the original language, that phrase, it is finished, is just one word. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. Tetelestai was a word used by business owners in the first century that literally mean, meant the debt is paid in full. Tetelestai. Jesus on the cross said it is finished. Tetelestai. So when Jesus on the cross, he was basically saying to the Father, I have paid the debt for sin in full. That's redemption. And the on the cross, Jesus paid for our redemption. The fourth and last word that explains the meaning of the cross is grace. Say grace. Now, I know some of you are like, wait a minute. That's not really a big word. The other ones, it doesn't look very big to me in comparison to the others. But the cross, how many of you know that the cross is all about God's amazing grace? He gives it value. And so grace this morning, if you've never understood it, is the undeserved favor of God. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. It is basically God giving us what we don't deserve. See, we don't deserve to have Jesus, the perfect son of God, die in our place. And we could never earn God's forgiveness. What we do deserve is eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. Instead, because of God's grace, that undeserved favor, we receive mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is kindness and compassion. 
God gives us that mercy and compassion through Jesus. Anybody thank God for God's grace and mercy? In fact, Romans 6.23, now we read the whole thing. For the wages of sin is death, but what? The gift or the grace, think of it as grace. It's a gift, it's undeserved. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace is the gift that none of us deserves, ever, ever. That's like my child hasn't done the chore that I've been asking him to do for weeks upon weeks upon week, and, and, and he gets an, an allowance to do that chore. And so I've decided not to ground him or take away his phone. That's mercy. But grace says, guess what? He hasn't done what he's supposed to do or what he could do. I'm going to double his allowance right now. Every dad in here is like, absolutely not. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you're not God and I'm not God. Because guess what? You didn't deserve an extra allowance. You didn't deserve grace. You didn't deserve mercy. Praise God, Jesus was not about to let us take the punishment that we deserved for our sin that we committed he loved us so much that he came into this world to offer us grace. And through grace, he brought us mercy. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Listen, if we could do something to earn our redemption and our salvation, we would be bragging about it because that's human nature. And see, the cross demonstrates to us what kind of God we have. He's a grace-filled, loving God who wanted to see no one suffer eternal punishment. And so what was his, his solution? He sent his son Jesus into the world to die on a cross for us. That's grace. And it's amazing. Worship team, come. Ephesians 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far away, but he brought us near. More than that, the Bible says that because Jesus has paid the price, you no longer have to face the eternal punishment of hell. Instead, you can share eternal life with God in heaven. This is grace. Listen, this is the hope that we get to offer to everyone around us by leading them to the cross because Jesus came to be our substitute when we know that he offered his life as a propitiation. He even provided for our redemption on the cross. And by his amazing grace, you and I sit here this morning and we're saved. We know him. All of these big words help us to better understand the meaning of the cross, but they also point to the Savior at the center of it all. We're going to talk about that, not next week, but the week following. Jesus at the center of it all. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Christ, and through him, to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. To, today, Cross Point Church is who we are. And this is what we do. What do we do? We exist 
to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. Say it with me one time. We exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the center of their lives. That is our mission possible. And Jesus is at the center of it all. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this basic word that you have given us. Lord, you have given us a mission every day of our lives. That mission does not belong to me, the pastor. That mission does not belong just to the missionaries or the evangelists. That mission does not just belong to those who have gone to Bible college, but Lord, that mission belongs to each of us. If we call on the name of Christ, if, if we are Christian, if we are followers of Jesus, we have a mission to lead people to the cross. And Lord, more than words, that is an action. That is something we should live out. And so I pray that as we continue in our series, and Lord, as we have uh, just talked about the cross, leading people to the cross, that we would have a greater understanding so that we can share with others that same cross that's available for them. And so, Lord, touch every life, touch every person. Help us, Lord, to focus on what matters most, especially in this new year. Jesus, you are coming soon. I pray that you would find us working faithfully for you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's close with a little more worship and we'll dismiss.